welcome to the Outer Limits of Inner Tooth Radio Show, OuterLimitsRadio.com. I'm your host, Ryan. Before we begin tonight's show, which is going to focus on tarot duality, our featured guest actually is one of our listeners, so this is real exciting and a great honor. I have some things to bring to your attention. First off, I want to thank you for committing your time and energy to our show each week, and I want to let you know that we have had several exclusive and rare interviews on our program. So let's give you a quick recap. We were the show that did legendary actor Frank Vincent. This is the last show he appeared on. We've had legendary actor, comedian Richard Belzer. Judith Regan, publishing legend, has appeared on our show. To my understanding is that she hasn't done any other recent shows. Uh, we've done, you know, the 14-hour, it's an 18-hour-long series on death and healing. We've done shows about weight loss. We're actually doing a revision of that pretty soon. But I'm bringing this to your attention just to tell you that when you commit your time and energy to our show, you are definitely getting unique content. And um, I just want to say how much I appreciate that you, li- you continue to listen in. And if you really enjoy the program, please feel free to write a review of the show on iTunes. It is not to stroke my ego in any way, shape, or form, but the more people that see reviews, it'll spread. More people will be able to see the show on iTunes. I want to also bring to your attention that uh, the next few weeks are going to be very tough for me because my wife is visiting her family in Slovakia. I mean, I I couldn't just marry the girl down the block. No, I had to marry the, the girl from Slovakia. So... She's away for three weeks, and it's it's really hard. And I want to give you my personal phone number. My number is 347-960-3539. That's 347-960-3539. Please feel free to give me a call and tell me about your journey and what your path I have so much interest in learning about you and learning about where you're going and any show suggestions or guest ideas would be fantastic. But I, I do have a, a vested interest and passionate interest in learning about your, your growth process because I think it's fantastic. I mean, you're the reason why we do the show. I also want to let you know that last week I went to two different conferences. I drove – 887 miles within about 36 hours. I drove up to New Jersey for this event called Monster Mania where you have all these people like uh, Robert England who played Freddy Krueger was there. Doug Bradley who played Pinhead was there. A bunch of other people were there. And then I went to another conference and I'll explain the comparable difference. First off, I go to these events, these celebrity sci-fi events because I want to see if we can get some of these people as guests on our show. And one person I've been working on for a while, about two years now, is Rob Schneider. He's, I can't tell you, he's super funny and he's so sincere. I mean, he really is down to earth and he'll take the time to to talk to his fans. He had a huge line, so I think that we're going to get him. I also feel that he's somebody who's awake. But there are some other people who, you know, that they're celebrities they I just wasn't connecting with. I'll give you an example. I talked to Shannon Elizabeth. She was this big celebrity back in 2000. And she's vegan. And I walked up to her. I was like, hey, you know, I'm vegan too. I'm going to help you. And just got this like impression that just didn't want anything to do with me. A lot of these celebrities, they're just there just to, you know, to, to have you pay money to get their autograph and send you along the way. And I feel with Rob Schneider, he's one of the few people that is genuinely authentic. I had a fun experience meeting Doug Bradley. If you've ever seen the Hellraiser series, I mean, this is the, this is the guy who played Pinhead. And I was trying to be like, you know, 
hey, why don't you come on our show? But I couldn't. I, I became a little fanboy at one point. I was like, you have no idea how many pairs of underwear you have ruined. I've ruined because I've watched you. You've got me all scared. And, I, you know, I, I ruined my underwear. I mean, I just, they just goes, I don't know. <laughs> she probably thought I was crazy. Well, anyway, all these people are there to meet these celebrities. And they're gathered around. And they want their picture because this person has been on TV or movies. And this is big hype around them. But then the following day, I drove to Washington, D.C. for the Ron Paul Peace and Prosperity Conference. And that's when you had a lot of people in the freedom movement talking, discussing things. And I have to tell you, I was more starstruck at that conference than I was even close to anywhere near that monster media or other celebrity events. Because these are people who are right on the front lines of fighting for our civil liberties they're pushing for the expansion of freedom consciousness. I mean, it was surreal. And then I saw several speakers that were up there at this conference. I'm like, we've had those people on our show. That's another thing. Coming back to the first thing we brought to your attention at the beginning of the show, we have a lot of high-quality people on our program that really don't do that many interviews. I mean, just being able to talk to Ron Paul twice on the show and talk to him at the event and ask him some personal questions and ask some of these other people some personal questions, I can't tell you how amazing it is. So if you ever come across someone that you think would be a great fit for our show, please don't hesitate to let me know. Again, my personal number is 347-960-3539. Just give me a call. Tell me who you think would be great. We always want to seek out the rare interviews. So coming back to what we started at the beginning of the program, our featured guest is actually one of our listeners. He's an um, active member of the Freedom Conscious Movement. Let us begin tonight's program. Joining us now is Robert Bonomo. He is a filmmaker, a blogger, a novelist, and an esoterist. Do more about him by going to his website at thecactusland.com. Mr. Bonomo, welcome to the program, and thank you for also being a fellow fighter when it comes to liberty and freedom. Thank you for having me on. It's, re it's really a pleasure. Excellent. So you've got a lot of articles that have appeared on websites like Lou Rockwell, Activist Post, right. Astrological, Astrological News Service, from your perspective, where do you see the world heading in the, in the next five years? Yeah, I, I see the next five years, and I know a lot of people have beat this beat this drum, but I do see AI becoming incredibly, incredibly important. Um, I used to work in online marketing, and the way the big data is being manipulated, the the exponential effect of that, we're actually being able to target people in a way that that we've never could even have imagined before. So I see AI as the big player down the road. Gee, so I mean, are we basically heading towards Terminator 2? Because I always wonder if that film was actually made, inspired from someone in the future to give us a warning about what not to do, because I feel like we're doing exactly what we should not be doing. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, people have no idea, because I hear so many people talk about, oh, my God, 5G and the 5G world and the Internet of Things, what's going to happen? And while they're talking on their 4G phone that knows more about them than they do, they're more than chipped already, and they don't even realize it. All right. So what do you think? Do you think that we're heading towards this one world tyrannical rule? Do you think that we're going to have a breakthrough in human evolution? Because – the way things are right now, it seems – I always think that things are, like, darker than maybe what people think they are. But I'm also a realist. Like, I, if things were really wonderful and peaceful, 
and we had a lot of hope on the horizon. I would be totally about it. But then again, today I'm pitching a client for the media to talk about the latest social media trends, and one of them is the fire challenge. And what's the fire challenge? It's when you set yourself on fire, you videotape it. And that's what the youth of America is doing. So I have no hope whatsoever in the youth. I think it's, generationally speaking, it's up to the people right now to take control or to do something. So I don't know. Where do you see it? Yeah, and, 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 it's, and it's a disease. I mean, let me just give you a small example. I lived in China. So I used to – I'm an ex-liberal. So okay. I lived in China, and I used to always read the New York Times. And the New York Times is banned in China. But the Washington Post isn't. So I started reading the Washington Post, and I noticed it got me angry every day. It was constantly getting me angry. And then I looked into it, and Marty Barron was the, the editor at the, the Washington Post. In a conference, he talked about how basically it's clickbait. So they were using the Washington Post to get you angrier and angrier so you would they would retain you on the site. And so this this media, the, the world, the media world today, what it's doing, it's dividing us, it's making us crazy, it's making us buy things we don't want, it's making us get angry about things that we shouldn't be, and it's also taking us away from the truth. The real reality, the real crimes that are going on. Robert, can you talk about your work with the tarot and tarot cards and what they reveal about the present day trajectory of where things are going and also what you utilize them for and how you learn about yourself? Yeah, um, so I got into the tarot because I write novels. So about t 10 years ago, I was looking for a structure for the novels, and I remember thinking, oh, yeah, the tarot, there's 22 cards. Well, I can just kind of follow a chapter for each card. That'll give my novel some structure. And that's how I got into looking at them. And I guess the, the key point is these are key Western archetypes. So if we look at Western civilization, the 22 major arcana of the tarot, really are the are 22 of the really fundamental archetypes that make up our consciousness. And you don't really have to, if you want to go farther on and say, well, you can use them for divination, I think you can, but what exactly is divination and what, what, what actually happens? Is it psychological? Is there actually, are we connecting to something else? That part is more complicated, but I think we can all agree that these are 22 key archetypes. Um, behind our, our culture. So are these representations, these 22, are they based on human emotion? What do they, each one of them represent? And what is the act of actually drawing tower cards? Because I have two people say, well, I'm going to have my cards. What, what actually happens mm -hmm. during that period of time? What happens? So if somebody just oh, sure. shakes, takes up, you know, mm -hmm. shakes a deck of cards and they pull certain cards. So what does each one, you know, mean about you? How's it work? Right. Well, so the general tarot deck has it has 22 major arcana, and then there's 56 minor arcana. And the tarot was just a game. It was just a card game that came from the, the, the Mamelukes through Egypt into Europe. So it was, it was just a card game, kind of similar to bridge, a little bit close to bridge, you know? And what happened was in Italy in the 14th or 15th century, they added on these 22 cards as an addition to the game. So it was originally just a game. But – People began to use them for divination. So how does it work? Imagine you have a dilemma. So, for example, imagine you have two job offers, one in Chicago and one in New York, and you don't know what to do. So you present the question as, what will happen 
if I go to Chicago. And with the person um, who does the reading, they shuffle the cards, and then they place the cards in a manner where each position also has a meaning. So the past, the future, what happened before, what will happen in, in the distant future, and then the final resolution. No, there's 10 cards. So what it does is it gives you a way of looking at this dilemma and it, it coming to terms with it. Now, a lot of people who do divination like I do, it does seem like the cards have an uncanny way of telling us what's going on more than anything at the present moment. Um, and when you've done a lot of readings, most people who, who do read cards or do astrology, it does seem like something's going on. But that's, you know, some people can believe that, some may not. But what is important is that it can help you to understand your situation so at the moment. What happens if you are doing these cards, is, does the person have to be in a stable place? Do they have to be in alignment to their higher self in order for them to kind of be fully connected into the universal consciousness? And can you have people who are emotionally erratic, emotionally unstable, or who are completely all of, basically all over the place and be very mm -hmm. bad tarot card readers? Like, how can you tell the difference between somebody who knows what they're doing and somebody who's kind of all over the place? I, I can tell you what how I identify it is when the person's ego gets involved. So when I do a reading, it's I separate myself from the cards, and I tell the person, the cards say this, the cards say that, you read the cards. When you get someone who, in my opinion, who's a little bit shady, they start telling you things, and they're they're telling you things that really have nothing to do with the cards or the reading. It becomes an ego trip. So as soon as I see someone who begins on the ego trip, then I, I get a little bit nervous. And also, if anybody ever tells you, well, if you bring me money, I can then immediately just get up and leave. Because a lot of people, you know, there, there are scam artists out there who say, oh, you have a demon, and if you give me $1,000, I'll get rid of the demon, or I'll bring back your girlfriend. Just run if someone says that. <laughs> I would imagine, though. I mean, how do you tell the difference between, you know, if you get a card that says death on it, how do you know it's going to be like, okay, well, there's going to be the death of something that you're doing, you're going to move on, or it's like, you know, no, physically, you're going to physically die. How do you, how do you know the difference? Yeah, that, that's a good question. The, the, but in the Major Arcana, there is a death card. And that card really is not about dying, physically dying. That card is about – it's about that moment, for example. I think a lot of people, for example, in the liberty movement, there's a moment when they kind of realize that what they had been taught growing up wasn't true. And, and then you have to accept that a lot of things in your life that you believe even relationships you've had, jobs you've done, it wasn't what you thought it was, and you kind of have to die to that old self, that's the death card. Now, there is another card, the Ten of Swords, which is a little bit more dodgy, you know, um, when you get that card. But now, I, just for example, I will not do health readings. So if someone comes to me about a health issue, I, I won't do it because you don't want the placebo effect coming in you know, imagine you have a horrible reading. Oh, and the on, do, you, do, you, would you ever take advantage of it? Mm -hmm. Like, would you see somebody who walks in, is like 400 pounds, like, you know what? I'm going to make an exception. <laughs> Let me see. I see high blood pressure. I, I see, see late night eating. 
like, sure, exactly right. I'm like, I know. I've got the gift. I've got the gift. <laughs> I had to go. I've been tempted. I've been tempted. <laughs> My wife got tarot card readings, and they, they didn't even say anything. They, they, just, they just spelled out run, run away. What was the most amazing reading or noteworthy reading that you did for someone? Did you ever read for someone that you realized that they had a historical significance of being on Earth at this time? You're like, oh, my God, this person was, was destined to be here at this time. They're supposed to do something. Or maybe there was someone really twisted in the previous life incarnation of historical significance. Yeah, I did a I did a reading once for a woman who who had some you know she was kind of involved in occult things on the dark side, and I got all ten of the positions were the major arcana, all of them came upside down and and it was I think it was the devil was um, the significator. It was a horrible reading, and I could tell this one was dark. And then later on, obviously, she kind of talked about. Like another reading I gave about a couple of months ago to someone I knew, this was somebody, I don't want to go into too much detail, but let's say that they were in a relationship now and there was an older relationship and um, a candle just blew up as we were doing the reading. Um, yeah, so yeah, so strange, some strange things do, do, do definitely happen. But really, yeah, I mean, you, you find, like, I, I hear a lot of times, too, the cards will – the person will come in with a question, and you just know. Now, is it intuition? Maybe. You just know that that's not what they're asking. Like, for example, a woman came to me once about selling a house. Can't sell my house. What's the problem? What should I do? Da, da, da. And so I'm reading the reading, and I say, are you sure you're here about a, about a house? And she's like, yeah. And this, I keep getting this thing of this man. And uh, I remember finally telling her, are you sure there's not a man involved in here? And then I'll, the tears come out. Yes. I've been having an affair. I'm trying to sell the house to move to another city. I mean, that happens a lot, a lot. That the question they want to ask is really not what they're asking. And the cards kind of tell you. Do you know sure about this it? is the question? Yeah. Well, I want to ask you. You've got this film. It's called 21 Faces of God, which is a 27-part film made for YouTube. And I immediately resonate with it. I'm like, all right, awesome. This is a gentleman that uh, likes to go in-depth on things because – we did that 14-part, 18-hour-long show on death, so I love the fact that you're very comprehensive. <laughs> so can you please talk about what this, the film is about, The 200 Faces of God? Yeah, sure. Um, so what I wanted to do was show the meaning and the path of the 21 Major Arcana because not only are these 20 – well, the 22 Major Arcana, the fool is not exact – in my opinion, isn't really a Major Arcana, so that's why it's called the 21 – faces of God. It's the fool's path. The fool is the first card, and he goes through these archetypes. And uh, the premise of the film is it's not only that are these 21 key archetypes of human consciousness, but it also shows you the path to awakening. So I, I, there's five sections that just talk about duality in the cards, the archetypes in the cards, the structure of the cards, a little bit of the history of the cards. And then I take the viewer on the path of those archetypes and show what the cards can teach us about how to, how to wake up. Like, for example, the hangman. Now, this is just, a, just one example. The hangman is a man hanging upside down. And the next card after the hangman is death. 
And that is really that what we were talking about before, that awakening process. You begin to see that everything isn't as it seemed. It's actually almost completely opposite of what it seemed. And after that, you die to your old self, your old consciousness. You begin to become aware. You know? right. So when a person is getting some of these cards, mm-hmm. how does it differ if they are a sociopath or if they are generally empathetic? Because I'm wondering how would a person who has no ability to relate to another or how mm-hmm. does a person who is overly sympathetic to others able to get clear, concisive message when their inner dialogue may not allow any other external information to come in that would contradict who they are or who they believe they are? Yeah, that's a good question. And what you're getting at really is the whole idea of, of good and evil, no? And um, Good and evil also just what is person believes is their inner truth and – I'm getting actually getting a cognitive dissonance or getting at saying I'm so set in my ways that I'm not open to this, right? I can't – I'm incapable of perceiving new information. So I'm wondering how, how do you, you know, get an accurate reading for a person who deals themselves their own deck of cards, whereas they don't have the capability of allowing any external stimuli to come into themselves that mm-hmm. is a contradiction or challenges their belief pattern. Well, you know, you know what I would say here is I'm sure you're familiar with uh, Carl Jung, the psychologist, and um, he said one thing that is it's just so true. He says, "What?" We, so as we develop, he called it individuation. We become conscious of ourselves. We become conscious of things, and so, a lot of times we become conscious of things that aren't so nice about ourselves, know our shadow. But he said one thing that was fascinating. He says, "What we don't." become conscious of internally happens to us, that's destiny. That's the synchronicities in life. The kicks in the rear end we get. Usually, when you go down the road a few years, you see, you know what? That that had a significance. So when you talk about a person who is just really set in their ways and no empathy, and they come for a reading, generally that reading will shock them. It will give them a jolt. Sometimes those readings can be very powerful because you see, you'll see it in the person's eyes. They're like, "How did you know that? Are you psychic?" I'm not psychic. I, I don't really. I don't have psychic ability. I have. I know people who do, but I don't. All right. So the and information. I say, no, that's the cards. I'm just curious. So the information that's coming in. What's the difference between mm-hmm. the information that a person is, is getting conveyed to them through the cards compared to a person? who is being given a psychic reading or also even compared to astrological reading. So how does – what types of information – how does the information differ? Yeah, that, I mean, that's a great question. Um, astrology, in a sense – and there's a fabulous book on this that's called The Moment of Astrology. That Astrology, in my opinion, in a lot of people's opinion, really is divination. It's that moment. When you come in for the reading, what we're showing you is – what the world, how the world is affecting you in this moment. It's not really a map of your life. It's a map of that moment when you came in for the reading. So in my opinion, a card reading, runes, um, it's all very similar. Now, psychic readings are a little bit different because the, instead of the oracle, instead of being the cards is actually the reader, you know, but in the end, it's, 
the greater that you could say the the greater self is kind of it's a way to allow that into your life and kind of touch you a little bit. So actually, I think it's all the same. I mean, there's no difference between someone reading runes, reading the tarot, uh, doing an astrological reading. It's not like there's one system that's better than the other. And you have this book called Your Love Incomplete, and I love the, the yeah. way they address you. Your title is like, Robert, phenomenal. He's a blogger, <laughs> novelist, practicing esoteric, and he is a late-blooming anarchist. I love that. A late-blooming <laughs> anarchist. I think it's just awesome. Just people it's describe true. who you are. Like, what do you do? I'm like, you know, I work. What do you do? I'm a late-blooming anarchist. I'm, I'm seriously going to start using that. Like, <laughs> so wait, what is a late-blooming anarchist? A late blooming anarchist is someone who kind of went for a corporate career. I worked in advertising for a long time, especially on the on the online side. No, so I worked in New York. You. You're forgiven. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, you know where it all began was working for the bank. Um, I, I mean, if I could just tell quickly, because it's kind of sure. I mean, for me, it was interesting. We were we were doing the marketing for consumer loans, like three three four thousand euro consumer loans, and. On these $3,000 loans, we were spending $600 in advertising. So the acquisition cost was $600 in advertising to, to get someone approved for the loan and the loan funded. And that seemed crazy to me. So I was talking to my boss. I'm like, so we break even at what, 15 months? This can't be. Oh, yes, blah, 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 blah. So I started to think, you know, how do banks work? And then I was doing a training, and there was a guy from BNP, and I, and understanding the marketing costs, I was like, how does BNP make money on a 4% mortgage? He's like, oh, we don't. Uh, it's a loss leader. And I was like, there's no way that BNP is losing money on all, their, on all their mortgages. So when I started to understand how money was created, the whole thing just kind of blew up. You know? <laughs> like, what, am I, what are we doing? What is this world? That's really what woke me up. And that's why I was so attracted to the liberty movement and, for example, Dr. Paul, because he's, he, I think he's the only person in America, public figure at least, who talks sensibly about money. Yeah. What is it? Who makes it? You know, and, and what's it doing to our lives? Yeah, he's incredible. I, and we just got back from that talk to the beginning of the show about the Peace and Prosperity Conference. There are people that are talking about sound money, and to the average person, it, it sounds foreign. They don't understand. So – you, is this when you had your awakening when you were working at the bank? Uh, yeah, it, it, it began slowly. It began, and then I'll never forget. I was having a beer with a buddy of mine who was the CFO of a, a small oil company, and I asked him. I said, "How do these banks make money?" Very smart guy, and he looked me in the eye and he said, "You know what? I don't know." <laughs> so this is a CFO of an oil company, didn't really understand the basic mechanics of banking. How is money created? And when when you understand that. You, you know, I was a history major, and no one ever told me that, you know, banks can create money out of nothing. And when you think about that, you know, then I remember thinking, well, would we have gone to the war in Iraq if real money had to be spent to do that? Oh, so if, 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 if Bush, Bush had said, all right, everyone, we're going to put a 20% uh, sales tax on everything, and we're going to go fight this war. Would we have fought that war? Of course not. People would have said, wait, wait, wait a second. 20%? I think not. I'm having a hard time grasping it. I really have a hard time grasping it. So money gets created out of thin air for no apparent reason, and 
people who create war, I guess, to become enriched by it. And I don't know for what purpose, what in game. It just doesn't seem that the, the best interest of humanity is being represented because they, we probably would have a higher standard of living conditions for most of our citizens. So I can't figure out if you yeah. want to do a the, the tarot card reading on the trajectory of the United States and the trajectory of the world, what would you come up with? I know it's kind of an on-the-spot question, but I wonder if you, you have done it before. Yeah, I've actually done a few re- – once I was I was living in Spain and I was given a seminar on, on tarot reading, and it was a – this would have been about 2000 and – let me guess. I don't know, like 2010, in the middle of the Spanish crisis. And we did a reading on what would happen if Spain left the euro. <laughs> it was amazing. It came out – Fabulous. So it was a fabulous reading. Everyone was looking at me like, wow, this is strange. Um, the terror reading, for, I mean, I'm very pessimistic. So, I mean, if you want, I mean, if you want my view. Yeah, we go out to the truth. I, I send some things. I send letters out to my family once in a while about how things are going. And I'm like, well, we don't want to see it. You're just being a downer. And I, I want to know the truth. I don't care what things are. Mm. I, I, you know, it's, I welcome, you know, wonderful, peaceful truth. But. If it's a hard truth to see, I think you got to see it because I don't know about you, but uh, my experience when I woke up, I it was painful. It was very painful. It, it, I suffered, but I did not want to live a lie anymore, and I did. I was willing to walk through the fire, and you know, not have this illusion of certain beliefs. But I feel so much better, and I've recovered from that, and I feel stronger now than I ever was with any of those useless beliefs that I had. So yeah, when it comes down to the truth, whether it's positive or negative. Out of Limits of Energy Radio Show wants to know what the truth is from your perspective. Yeah, my my perspective is uh, – are, are you familiar at all with uh, Yuval Harari, the uh, Israeli historian? He talked about the um, narrative. He's an interesting guy. I mean I don't agree with his politics, but he talks about it this way. Humans, we, we live on stories, and if we all buy into the story, then it works. Now, for an example, the dollar. No. Uh, you could take Bin Laden and uh, Donald Trump, and they uh, they agree that the dollar works. A hundred bucks, I can go into a store and I can buy a shirt, right? What I see happening in the U.S. is that our collective narrative. I mean, I'm 50, 51 now. No, growing up, there were certain things that we kind of all agreed upon. That collective story is collapsing. So it's like a little bit like in China when you have the end of one dynasty and the beginning of another, no? We're in that process. And that's where you could connect Donald Trump to the tarot in this sense. There's a concept of the trickster, you know, the, this mythological figure who who comes and he, he points out all the, the bad things that are the taboo subjects. Trump for example, is that trickster who – that's why – I think that's why people elected him because they knew he's completely unconscious. I don't think he has any idea what he's doing, but instinctually, intuitively, he knows where to put his finger. The whole idea of fake news. Well, I mean, hello. No, <laughs> it didn't take – right? On many subjects. And what he's doing, he's, he's creatively destroying our entire myth. Our national myth, because the myth is dead, it doesn't work anymore. And we're at that point where this is an extremely, I think, an extremely dangerous moment in history. Extremely dangerous. Well, extremely especially dangerous. for the United States. So why would you say it's dangerous? So what happens if we lose, lose the story? What, do people become 
they become what susceptible to another new story that's based what in tyranny as opposed to the foundation of liberty or I mean what do you think happens? Well, I mean, I, I lived in Russia for a long time, almost uh, six years. I was I taught in and living in Russia, I learned one thing that when you destroy a culture, when you take it's think of a culture as an operating system, no, mm-hmm. and that operating system is is what guides our lives. When that operating system is destroyed, for example, like the Bolsheviks destroyed the pre-revolution Russia. Afterwards, you can't put that toothpaste back in the tube. You have to create a new myth. The, the Russian myth was all this Soviet stuff, which, by the way, is the, still the myth they're living on. They're still living on that Soviet operating system. And the U.S., I, I just see that we have lost the ability to believe collectively just certain basic things, like, for example, one common point of reference. Who are we? What's our history? What do we value? There is no common reference point anymore. And it, it, it's, it, we're at a point where nobody knows what to believe. Nobody knows what to read. Nobody knows what's actually going on in the country. I mean, let me ask you a question. If you want to know what's going on in the United States, where do you go? What do you believe? Is there a newspaper you open that you actually believe? I have to tell you, when it comes to... Finding that the answer to answer your question, I find people who I believe have a lot of high integrity that have had a history of high integrity, and I will read what they write because I feel that when people have high integrity and they don't have an ulterior motive for presenting the information, I feel that's where the, the truth generally lies. So I, I, I say I spend a considerable amount of time reading both mainstream and alternative media and form a conception or. A, idea based on both of those, but I generally go to people who I consider very truthful and respectful who didn't have a history of being integrity, being integrity. Right. Individual people, no? Yeah. Like Dr. Paul, for example. Oh, sure. yeah. Absolutely. I mean, one of my but, greatest heroes. He's, we just saw him this weekend. Yeah. It's incredible. He's so nice. Oh, uh, yeah. And, and you know, he's, he, I, he is the only politician in America that when he speaks, I actually believe everything he says. Now, it doesn't mean everything he says is true, but he has full integrity. What he's telling you, he actually believes it. There's no weird agendas. He's not getting money from some corporation. He's the only one, the only one that I actually honestly believe everything he says, that at least he believes it. Yeah, he's a great man. We need If we only had 100 Ron Pauls, wow, our country would be in very different I think it would be, but during, at that Peace and Prosperity Conference, one of the things you talked about, they were, it was sold out, and a lot of people in that room were very passionate about peace and liberty. And the indication I got is that if you have a small number of people that are very passionate about something, and they project that passion in the form of being, integ- being form of, um, having a lot of honor and pushing it out in a very peaceful way, it could have a substantial impact. The, the one idea I used to think that you had to wait for the majority to come on. It's like, no, don't wait for the majority. The majority are never going to do the heavy lifting. They're always going to, as Gerald Salente says, oh, yeah. be stuck on their phones and you know not caring about what's going on. Because if the majority was even halfway remotely interested in what was going on, we would never be at this point, it seems like. Um, oh, yeah. It's a, it's a 15% rule. You know, If you get 15% of the early adopters, let's say, once you get to that point, the rest just come running behind. 
Yeah, I mean, it's a fight for the 15, 20%. It's not, the rest don't matter. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> well, as far as the new um, myth goes, we're talking mm-hmm. about the U.S. and the world. What new myth do you see evolving, at least in the U.S. alone, after we have this, you know, collapse of our old myth? Yeah, and unfortunately, I see it as the corporate myth. So it's a completely it's a it's a secular myth based on sort of corporate speak, you know, uh, fifteen second tweet or you know tweets, uh, Google, Facebook that we're going to become a collective world. We're going to try and reduce the importance of the individual because of global warming or we have to save the earth or whatever that is, and so it's going to be this kind of Bland collectivism, very similar, actually, in a sense, I think, to sort of Soviet communism. That's going to be the new myth. And so everyone will bow down to saving the earth and saving the environment and um, and diminishing, for example, ethnic identities, religion, our cultural heritage. I mean, it's all just being destroyed. So, I mean, I think that's what I see happening. I mean, look at our education system. It's it's pathetic. Even in our universities, we used to have great universities. Now you see these students come out and they're mindless. Well, I learned more when I got out of school. When I was in college, I was a rebel. I mean, I was always challenging things. And I think in the, in the rebellious nature, I, just, I was learning a lot. And when I got out of school and started reading more books, that's when the education really took in. A lot of people, they, they don't want to read after they go to school. They just said, oh, you know, I read the books, memorize the information, regurgitate it, to put on a sheet of paper. But I could agree with you right. more. You know, one thing I saw on your site is talk about the Pluto-Uranus cycle, which our fellow astrologer, our lovely uh, astrophenom, Ms. Constance Ellis, is talking about. Can you please explain mm-hmm. about the how the Pluto and Uranus cycle plays out? Because you said that on there that there's a significance to it. The last time it was like this was 1776. and in the U.S., and that's when you know, the Revolutionary War happened. So what's the significance about it at this particular time? Yeah, Pluto, I mean, these are very large cycles, no? So when Pluto moved into Capricorn, that was right when the financial crisis happened. And that, that Pluto move into Capricorn, which we're, we're going through now, if you think of Capricorn as bureaucracy, institutions, I mean, it's a feminine earth sign, and it's all about kind of bureaucracy, government, that kind of thing. Pluto is is just death and destruction. If you've ever had a, a, a Pluto transit, for example, on your ascendant or on your sun, I mean, it can be brutal. And I believe by the time Pluto moves through Capricorn, um, I, I, I see our entire – our whole institutional structure, bureaucracy, is going to be completely wiped out. I don't think it's going to survive it. Okay. And those cycles – those cycles are, are – you know, those are big mega cycles. But, yeah, the Pluto and Capricorn thing is – well, I mean, think about – think about – and remember, when these planets, these heavy, big-moving planets, when they change signs, when they move signs, it's pretty harsh. I remember Fukushima happened. All astrologers remember that, no? When Uranus moved into uh, into Aries, you know. So, 
Geez, I'm wondering, kind of is, there any, is there any signs mm-hmm. that are happening in the, the next couple? Because right now they're, they're saying, oh, the economy's getting shaky. We just did a major show less than a month ago about the, the coming collapse. I'm like wondering, is there anything you see like, um, that's going to happen that could probably push that event finally over? Yeah, from I guess actually what worries me more is, is um, actually Uranus moving into Taurus. Because the last time that Uranus and Taurus always seems to have a, a cycle of war. There's an actually an astrologer, I'm forgetting his name, but if you Google it, uh, Uranus and the war cycle, especially related to the United States, it's, it's kind of scary. And, um, yeah, what scares me more than the, the financial part is, is the war part. Because they both kind of go hand in hand. So are we going to get and, World War III? You know, the reason why I'm asking is because, you know, maybe I'm going to take some less. Maybe I'm not going to work as hard. Maybe I'm going to take two 10-hour days. (laughs) (laughs) I'll tell my wife, like, hey, you know, why should I clean the house? We're going to be blown up very soon anyway. What does it matter? What does it matter? We'll be fried. I try to talk to her. I've been been telling her about this since 2009, by the way. She's like, the world is still here. You'll need to clean up the house. I'm like, all right, fine. Uh, no, yeah, I, I see. I honestly see, and I'm not, this is not so from from astrology, but it's my time in Russia. Um, the the state of the Russian mentality right now, they've been on a war footing. I would say since you know since all this kind of went down in Crimea, that that is a country ready for war. They're prepared for it, and I think the powers that be, this instigation of this kind of Russia America conflict is um it's that is extremely dangerous so you have the deep state dying for a conflict with russia and you have the left dying for a conflict with russia and i am no defender of putin at all i mean i not a fan but do is that really what we want and i mean you it's it's hard if we escape syria without a major conflict i think that will be a miracle literally and as far as the deep state goes, because we have talked about it before, I mean, are we are we getting out of this reality? With, is, it, is that going to be here long after we're dead? I mean, is that thing always going to be a presence in the back of, of human consciousness? Because I don't. So you mean the deep state? Yeah, the deep state. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're basically the, the mechanism, the invisible hand that controls everything, that controls us, dominates us. I mean, I, because logically speaking, I do not think humanity, if the people had any semblance of control over their lives would ever get to this point. I don't think we would be causing this destruction on Earth. I don't think we'd be, we would allow other people to suffer needlessly. I mean, there's, I feel like there's so much unnecessary suffering that's on here. And I think it's hard enough to evolve in a place without that thing in the background. But if without it, right. I think we'd have a shot. I think we'd actually have a shot at becoming an evolved species. Dr. Greer talks about I love, we've had him on before, talks about where we are as planetary scale. They said there's certain planets that are one or two or three or four, and I believe as they get higher up, this means that we have a collective species working together, protecting the Earth that is exploring and making peace with interplanetary uh, systems. He says we're at zero. We can't even get our own stuff together. We're, we're at war with each other. We're destroying our planet. So we're actually on a very de-evolved scale. So from your perspective, is that deep state always going to be a part of our lives for the foreseeable future, bearing some kind of, you know, life exterminating event on Earth that wipes out most of it or wipes out most of humanity? Yeah, I, I think it's 
it's absolutely true. I mean, if you just open up a newspaper and you see all that's written in this newspaper is a consequence of the deep state. It's all, it's all, everything that's happening in, for example, all of the wars going on today in Ukraine, in Syria, in Yemen, all of this is created by the deep state. And the deep state is obviously intimately connected to banking. So when, when people, to, to, to break that cycle, for example, that's why Dr. Paul, when, you, when, he, when he speaks, you know, it does give me hope because there are people there who, if somehow we could get them elected, would say, enough, they're done. We don't want any of these. We eliminate them. We go back to real money, a very small state, and then I think evolution, we could, we could begin to evolve. But yeah, to get rid of them, I mean, that's a question. I, I mean, if I, if I could have a conversation with Dr. Paul, that's the first thing I'd ask him. Is it possible, you know, to go in and cut this stuff out? Or is, is, is it truly the octopus that controls the world? That's, it's a very good question. Thank you. I, I don't know if we can, I don't know if we can at this point. The other thing I'm hopeful for is I, I have to say, I probably mentioned at the beginning of the show that I feel that there are certain people on this earth right now that are here to train to experience this so we can become involved and go to different systems after we die in our next lifetime. We'll probably be at a different civilization that's more appreciative, and we'll be able to fit into that civilization much easier because we've gone through and become awake and aware to the antithesis of what true civilization is. I always wonder if like, you know, experiencing the hard, horrible conditions of humanity right now is going to prepare certain number of us for a different civilization in the future life incarnation. I'm not sure, but that's just a theory. I hope so. I mean, are you? Are, are, I'm a big fan of Terrence McKenna. I love Terrence McKenna. I love him too. And He's great. I love that line. I use it in the film in the section on archetypes where he talks about culture is not your friend. Culture is a scheme. <laughs> you know, it's a it's a tax scheme. It's a it's all a scheme to just get your money, your labor, your mind, and your soul. But but on the other hand, once you once you kind of move beyond the culture. And you can experience awareness. And anybody can do this. And that's where the tarot card comes in. It seems like a game. But when you begin, when you go a little bit deeper, and I hope that folks can watch the film and, and just follow the path of the cards, you can see that there is a way to wake up. And once you wake up, and it, it's, not, it's not a point. It's not like you're going to reach someplace and that's it. You've made it. It's just a constantly exponentially growing awareness of who we are and the universe. And, it, and it's a beautiful feeling. I mean, I can actually say with all of the madness in the world, I wake up and I'm excited to be alive because there's, there's ways to grow, but you, you have to, you have to be able to say goodbye to a certain amount of culture, you no, know? because it's not there to help you. It's there to chain you. You know, and I'm not, for example, I'm a baseball fan. I love my Giants. I, watch, I listen to my Giants game every day. That's my tribe that connects me, you know? I mean, it's not like you have to give up everything and go on top of a mountain and, you know, <laughs> and just drink water. But you have to be able to slowly just remove yourself from the madness. But, like, for example, all this, the, this political situation we've had for the last two years, if, if you are invested in one side or the other, you're being controlled. You know, you've got to get to the point where you can watch it like, like, I hate the Dodgers, but we need the Dodgers. Without the Dodgers, no, there's no Giants-Dodgers game. 
So you've got to look at all of this madness and just see it as a game, see who's playing the game, understand the different strategies, and chuckle a little bit and move on. Don't get invested in what they want you to be invested in because that's how they control you. It's uh, a great, great point. And Robert, one of the things I love about your bio says you've spent a lifetime exploring religions and spiritual traditions from Zen to yeah. agnosticism. What of all the traditions and religions that you've explored, what do you think has been the most disempowering religion and what has been the closest that you've come to realizing is the most empowering religion or spiritual practice? Wow, that's a tough question. The, the second part's easy. The first part, I was raised Roman Catholic. Um, and Another thing we have in common. <laughs> Yeah, it's, and like my I, actually, I have an Italian name, but um, my my mother's Irish, so I'm raised more of the Irish Catholic sort of um, religious thing. And I would say that, unfortunately, I don't think Catholicism did me a lot of favors. Um, it opened it certainly it certainly created a base of sort of some sort of basic spiritual awareness. But I remember as an altar boy watching the mass, thinking. Oh, that's kind of gross. Are we really eating somebody? Yeah. And drinking his blood? It's and cannibalism. Like, ah. You know, there's an article I wrote on zombies, and I actually go into how the zombie myth is connected to the mass. <laughs> and, and a lot of people got angry. How can you say that? But, you know, it's a little bit gross. The whole thing's just a little creepy. People watch um, The Walking Dead. It's like, what are they doing? They're eating. No, they're, they're communion. It's zombie communion. Exactly. <laughs> That's what it is. It's one big Catholic mass, the whole Walking Dead, no? So, I mean, the zombie men and, 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 and what's going on in the world, ooh, when you see, for example, consumerism, too. You know, you eat, you eat, you consume, you consume, and you just can't stop. You know, you can't get enough of it. There, there is, but now that doesn't mean I'm not a Christian. I would, I would actually call myself a Christian, but more of a Gnostic Christian. Gnosticism, that is what really I find the most empowering. So what is Gnosticism? Um, um, basically, the, the basic Gnostic myth. So Gnosticism began in, in Hellenistic Alexandria, so in like the, what, the first, second, third century, you know? Gnosticism basically says is God is an archon. He's someone who's the demiurge. He's here to control you. And this world is not a perfect place. And it's not run by perfect people. And even God himself, like the God of the Bible, mm, a bit of a shady character. But there is a God beyond the God. And that's what Jesus came to teach us. There's a God. That there is another way. It's a dualist, it's a dualist um, theology where the physical world, because a lot of people say, oh, this world is so wonderful. It's such a beautiful place. It's kind of gross. All we do is eat each other. You know, we kill each other, eat each other, we barbecue each other. You know, I mean, it's... Well, not if you're yeah. vegan. You, then you eat plants. <laughs> no, that's true. Well, I guess, I guess plants you feel, I mean, I, at this point, if plants feel the pain and suffering, I'm like, oh, this, I have to, I'm out. I, I don't want to... <laughs> I mean, I, I have to say, I would eat people if I knew that they were healthy, if they, if they were like, you know, Good calorie content, but people are just so they fill themselves up with so much salt and all kinds of other stuff and GMOs. I wouldn't eat people just the fact that they're, they're not good. They're, 
bad beat. <laughs> I wouldn't do it. That's a good point. The catalyst would be awful. Uh, Robert, this is probably going to – sorry if I'm putting you on the spot with this, but I'm wondering, is there any possibility mm-hmm. of having a tarot – any tired insights on the trajectory of the Out of Limits of Inner Truth radio show? Because one thing we want to do with this, I'm just tell you what our intentions are. Continue to interview great people like yourself. Continue to seek the truth out. But I'm curious about where the trajectory of the show is going. And if you happen to, to look in there, if you don't want to do it, I understand. And if you do it, and it turns out that the show is about to blow up and it's going to go down, I think we should let the listeners know, our listeners know, so they can go to another great podcast. Yeah, I would love to do a reading. No problem. Yeah, like, so right now I have the, the deck in my hand, okay? I'm shuffling the deck. What I want you to do is think about the question. Just think a little bit about the program. And if there's any, you know, question or doubt you have, no, just think about it as I shuffle the cards. And then I, what I would like you to do is just tell me when to stop shuffling. What is the trajectory of the Outer Limits of Inner Truth radio show? And are the best interests of the people who commit their time and energy to the show being honored? Good. Yeah, that, that, that seems like a, a very good question. I'm just looking for the first king here. Okay. So what we do is we get a card that's you, that identifies you, right? Okay. And we got the king of cups. So I use this as sort of the Jungian idea of the four modalities, you no know, uh, thinking, feeling, sensitive, and intuitive. This means use your emotion. Approach this question as an emotional question, okay. not as an intellectual question. Think of it as an emotional question, okay? Sure. Okay, that's you. Now what I do is we cut the deck, okay? So I'm just going to raise my fingers up the, up the cards. You tell me when to stop. Okay. Feel free to stop. Now. Perfect. There you go. Good. So now we begin the reading, okay? So now the first card is what is really the question? So what covers you, okay? And, wow. So you got covered by the emperor. The emperor is the major arcana. So there's 22 major, no, 56 minor. What covers you is the emperor. So what the question is here, the emperor represents, basically, it, is, it, it represents kind of the sign of Aries, of beginning things, of that masculine energy, a little bit Mars kind of energy. So, this, so what it tells us, one thing, is this is obviously an important question, and it has a lot to do, I would say, with how you identify yourself in the public world, you know? So it's an important, it's a key question. Now, what's blocking, what's blocking you or the show, no, from, from reaching where it needs to be, from becoming the emperor? What's crossing you? Oh, I don't know if it's crossing or if something that's not being done. I'm just open to, um, to seeing if we're on the, if we're on the right path. Right, so. Uh, right. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. So what, it could be the refrigerator. I'm always, I'm always at it. I should be doing more shows instead of eating. So you got the chariot is crossing you. And this is interesting. The chariot represents the sign of cancer. 
And it's sort of like the chariot means when you've dominated those two, you know, the, pl the platonic myth of the chariot where there's two horses. There's a chariot with two horses, one that goes to heaven and one goes to hell. What's blocking this show and you from reaching its full potential is that balance of kind of um, of balancing the psyche. I, so I would say what you need, the, the issue here is, is finding balance. I think sometimes you probably go full bore and other times maybe you don't, you don't do enough. It's kind of, that's what the cards are saying, no? It's, it's interesting that you would get two major arcana directly, no? So, so the origin of this question, where does this question come from? Wow, the Empress. Interesting. And, and the cards are kind of saying it, it also comes from a, an aesthetic sense. No, it was it's to create something beautiful, not just maybe intellectually stimulating, but also something, you know, that had a, an aesthetic quality to it. And long-term, so the, the next card I pulled was the long-term view of the show. The long-term view is you got the best card in the deck, the world, which is pure balance. Okay. And what's interesting is that, car, that card goes a lot. Again, what's kind of blocking you, you will find that balance. Okay. In, in, the, recent past, in the recent past, has there been an issue with trying to control, how can I say this, kind of control maybe your passions or somebody's kind of a, a other uh, it seems like there was an issue in recently of trying to control maybe control yourself or something about yourself that you wanted to control more there was a when people come on i want them to be exactly who they are i don't want to control them in any capacity i mm -hmm. want to be respectful to the people who are listening because i do have some passionate perspectives but i also want to realize that you know it's it's the content that counts it is the inside of the guest accounts and my personal perspectives may not well i find them interesting may not necessarily be something that they that are going to be best suited to putting an individual or people listening to the show on a path where they can just you know maximize the right perspective i did a show uh, at the beginning of last week's show i talked about how i was upset what was going on with the catholic church in philadelphia and I questioned it, and I was a little hard on myself because I did it, but it turned out that people actually responded very well to it. But I do try to restrain myself to not put too much opinionations and too much opinions into this because I feel like my opinion is it's, that's not what counts. What's important are the information, insights, and tools that can empower other people. And it, the cards pulled in the near future, so in the in the coming future, um, you'll actually have something very fortunate should happen in the near future. Like we're looking by like the next month. All right. Should have something very positive happening. Um, how do you feel with the show? I, <laughs> the I love it. I love it. Like, you love it. Robert, you got the lover. I'm having a fun time. Robert, I'm having a fun time talking to you. I love you talking to great teachers. And everyone, they, they you know, they do these interviews and I think they, they get all serious about things and we can joke around have a good time. So no, I, I'm having a time of my life. I, I couldn't be having a better time. So it, the card that came out was how do you feel? How, what's your relationship to the show? And you got the lovers card, which oh, is like, fantastic. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm passionate about this. this it's very interesting. And now, how do people see you? You got the Knight of Swords, which oh. that means they see you as a fighter. Fighter. <laughs> yeah, you're, Jeez, you're I, out there fighting the good fight. Oh, I don't know if they saw me that. I forget they, they the drunkard. 
<laughs> now this card is oh my god I thought I'd show important. off saying wishing upon you an abundance of peace love and beers like how is this guy still standing <laughs> alright well that's positive that's yeah positive. and the card now, now the advice card you got is the page of swords um, it, it tells you pay attention this is what the cards are saying pay attention to something and I don't want to get you in trouble, but it's Go the ahead. Page of Swords. You gotta say it. Page of Swords. Page Young of girls. Swords. Be careful with the girlies. Well, okay. My wife, she's she looks very young for her age, and she gets me in trouble <laughs> a lot. So I, I told you, yeah, be careful with that. No, actually, if if that if that's if that if you is, is your wife kind of an intellectual type? Yeah, she's very intellectual. But uh, ah, that's it. That's the Page of Swords. So what it's saying is you should rely on her. Rely on her advice. What well, she tells you probably. Yeah. If, if, I didn't, if she was in my life, I'd walk into the house without wearing pants. She's, oh my god, I rely on her for everything. She's like, exhale, inhale. I'm like, what? You, you breathe. I'm like, all right. I forgot. And, and the final card. Yeah. So I just pulled the final card. Is Queen of Wands. Yeah. So you got you got a fab. You actually got a fabulous reading. There are actually no bad cards here at all. Really? Oh, jeez. I, I, you know, I have to tell you something right now. Robert, I'm sure there are people who are listening that totally expected the death card to come, like the death card. Nothing. You got no bad card. Well, we we did a whole show you. on death. We did a, that, that's awesome. No, we did the 18 hour show on death. Like the, there's got to be some death cards. Don't death drunk cards. Death cards. I'm sorry to disappoint everyone. It's a positive reading. <laughs> Let uh, me ask you about on the death on the death side. Did you talk about near death experiences? No, yeah, we did. We had 15 people, 15 near death experiences, and. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it was really amazing. We, we loved it. But uh, Robert, the last question I have for you, and I want to thank you so much for the impromptu reading. It's very positive. Thank you about the trajectory of your show. So if you're listening, so you've got a reason to stick with us because once we find that balance, boom, we're going global. Robert, what is yeah, the that's best the one piece, thing. The balance. You know, what is going. the best piece of mm -hmm. advice you can offer someone to empower themselves to reach their full potential in life? Yeah, the the key. I, I think the the key. There's probably two keys. If I, I mean, especially I I taught at universities and things. And so with, you know, with young people, the key. There's two keys. One is remember, as long as you're becoming continuously more aware, just always broadening your consciousness, you're on the right path. Two, you are going to come to moments when you have to, you have to. Uh, give up belief systems. And in the beginning, that is incredibly difficult because we hold on to these things with our dear lives, no? But once you get through that first breakthrough, then it's easy. Then you, you, you develop a belief system and you realize, you know what? This is going to last maybe six months, maybe a year, and I'll move on, no? So you, you've got to just don't be afraid to give up the dogma inside yourself. And one, just one last thing, the quality of a person's life depends on the questions they ask themselves. And you can find this out. You know, what bothers you, that, that's what's going to make you, that's what's going to make your life. So ask the tough questions and don't be afraid to give up the dogma. And as long as you're continuing to grow, it's all good. That is awesome. Wonderful advice. Mr. Robert Pernoma, I want to thank you so much for being with us today. Again, Robert is a filmmaker, blogger, novelist, and esoterist. 
He is also author of three novels, Twilight Breakout, Cactus Land, the latest release, Your Love Complete. You can learn more about him by going to his website at thecactusland.com. And also, if you want to get your tarot done, tarot reading with him, definitely want to reach out to him. Because I have to say, you know, some people who read me, they freak out. This is one of the few times people didn't freak out, so it's really wonderful. Oh, and, <laughs> and also, you definitely want to check out Robert's film called The 21 Faces of God. We're going to post a link to it on our site. Mr. Bonomo, thank you so much Great. for being this. Thank you, Ryan. It was a, I, had a, I had a good time. It was a lot of fun. Okay, everyone, that concludes today's edition of the Out of Limits Minute Truth Radio Show. Special thanks to our exceptional guest, Mr. Robert Bonono, and special thanks, as always, to the Out of Limits Minute Truth Radio Show virtues, Miss Carrie O'Connor, Miss Lisa Caza, and Miss Caza Stellas. To learn more about the Out of Limits Minute Truth Radio Show, please go to our website at outoflimitsradio.com. Also, please feel free to write a review of our show on iTunes. It's not to blow up my ego. It's to let people know about the show. The reviews help substantially. Wishing upon you an abundance of peace, love, and beers. Take good care. and Thank you so much again for listening. Want to be heard or seen in front of millions of people? Want to be an expert on TV or radio? Goldman McCormick PR is a New York City-based public relations agency that specializes in traditional and social media placement for law, finance, media, and corporate-based clients. Goldman McCormick PR also are specialists in website development, radio show creation, press conferences, media training, and so much more. Check out GoldmanMcCormick.com for more information. GoldmanMcCormick.com.